You comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Coastal Conversations with your host Natalie Springle is up next. Good morning and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant Program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. This morning, our show is about land conservation in the Downeast Maine region. The Downeast region is said to contain many of the cleanest, most natural, and least developed watersheds and wildlife corridors on the east coast of the United States. And there are a number of people working to protect these resources so that they can continue to be used by future generations and also so that they can contribute to the region's economic prosperity. So today, my guests are Aaron Doherty, the executive director of Frenchman Bay Conservancy. Hi, Aaron. Hi, good morning. And also Bob DeForest, who is the Eastern Hancock County Project Manager for Maine Coast Heritage Trust. Hi, Bob. Hi, good morning. Thanks to both of you for coming. Um, Aaron and Bob are both also members of the Downeast Research and Education Network, which enables the various entities working for conservation Downeast to be more connected and supporting of each other's work. So we'll spend a little bit of time talking about their respective organizations and the Downeast Research and Education Network and sort of land conservation efforts in the Downeast region as a whole. Um, And I'm excited to have both of you guys on the show today. So why don't, before we jump into the topic at hand, let's just kind of hear a little bit about what you guys do and how you came to this work of land conservation. So let's start with Aaron. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, so Frenchman Bay Conservancy is a nonprofit land trust with its office at the Reversing Tidal Falls in Hancock on the Taunton River between Hancock and Sullivan. And our mission is to conserve distinctive ecosystems and landscapes for the benefit of all from the Frenchman Bay and Union River watersheds east to the Hancock County line. So I've, you know, I've been doing this work for about two years and, uh, you know, I, I've always been interested in conservation and I've been interested in the outdoors. And, you know, certainly as a kid, like so many other people, just rambling in the woods and spending time uh, hiking and sailing and doing as much as I can. And, you know, I think that instilled in me early on um, a conservation ethic, which has really stuck with me. And, um, you know, I've tried to make a, a career of that and thankfully uh, been been successful at it so far. So, you know, I actually used to work for another organization called Penobscot East Resource Center, and that was uh, also a great opportunity to work with uh, fishing communities and do sort of conservation in a different sense also with communities. And I see this as, uh, 
an extension of, of that same sort of line of thought of supporting communities and supporting this area in Down East Maine. Great. Um, you mentioned Penobscot East Resource Center, and last month we had somebody from Penobscot East Resource Center on the show. We were talking about their Eastern Maine Skippers program and all the work that they've been doing to try to help the next generation of folks growing up in Down East Maine. So it's great to have Excellent. here and have the connection. Yeah, good. Um, okay, so let's hear a little bit about Bob. Um, tell us, sort of give us a sense of what Maine Coast Heritage Trust is and how you have come to work in the land conservation world. Great, and thank you very much for having us here. Um, yes, as you mentioned, I work for Maine Coast Heritage Trust. I'm on the land protection staff. So my job is actually working and interacting with individual private landowners or conservation partners um, and the communities on land conservation, and in particular for me in eastern Hancock, Maine. And Maine Coast Heritage Trust is a statewide land trust. Uh, we cover uh, the entire state, with a lot of our focus being in the coastal regions. Uh, we got our start in uh, 1970, and actually with the anniversary of the park, um, that's what our origin was, was back in 1970s, there was a new conservation tool, and we were um, formed to help facilitate conservation for the Park Service and work on uh, conservation easements and other land acquisitions over the years. We eventually evolved to holding the conservation ourselves and working on owning and managing land on the coast of Maine. So we're based um, in, uh, we have an office, a main office down in Topsom, Maine, but our field office, our main field office is on Mount Desert. Uh, we have a farm down in Topsom, Maine, and uh, another down east field office, which is in Machias, uh, Machias Port. And so we've been... Uh, working on the coast and the way we're, we are a statewide land trust is that we also work with organizations like French and Bay Conservancy and hold the main land trust network. So help working with our partners statewide on conservation. And so my, my origin is sort of, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, but I came up here about 28 years ago to go to College of the Atlantic. And I'd always been Love the outdoors, but uh, this was my true taste of uh, the Maine coast and really fell in love with the Maine coast during that period. Uh, I worked in seabird colonies, um, working with terns and puffins on the coast for a number of years. And then uh, during that period, I was also guiding sea kayak tours. So I spent a lot of time out on the islands. And it was through that appreciation and my background at COA that I came to land a job uh, working with uh, helping to protect these islands, uh, finding ways to make these islands accessible to the public, and then protecting these species that I used to do research on. That's great. And you've been with Maine Coast Heritage Trust for a while now, right? Yes. So it's been 14 years. Great. Great. So um, this this is uh, a great scope because between the two of you, we have Aaron, who um, your conservation work in Frenchman Bay Conservancy is really pretty local mm -hmm. around Frenchman Bay. And right. I believe eastern Hancock County, is that the focus? Yeah, we cover, again, from about Ellsworth, uh, north through Route 9, Amherst, uh, Aurora, Great Pond, that area, and then east through the Hancock County line. So um, We've got 7,000 acres conserved, and it's a combination of lands that we own, which we refer to as, as preserves, and also conservation easements, um, which is the tool that Bob was talking about just a moment ago, where 
um, individual landowners still own their land, but we conserve it uh, by holding a conservation easement, which uh, prescribes um, certain things that can and can't be done in the land in the future, such as not subdividing it, not developing it, if it's a, you know, if it's a certain land that um, you know, meets certain characteristics for conservation. So the landowner sort of makes a promise to certain kinds of activities on the land um, mm-hmm. while you hold the conservation easement. Right, exactly. And we'll do that in certain places to protect wildlife habitat, for example. Um, you know, if there's uh, certain areas that are really valuable for shorebirds or along a river corridor, things like that, that's one of the conservation tools that we can use. Great. Um, and can, can you guys sort of explain what is a land trust? You're, you're both with land trusts, right? Am I using the right term? You're both yes. land trust organizations. What, is, what does that mean? What is a land trust? Yeah, um, well, I guess I can just use Frenchman Bay Conservancy as an example. We've, um, so we were started almost 30 years ago, um, also with the help of Maine Coast Heritage Trust. And it grew, uh, Frenchman Bay Conservancy grew out of concern about um, development and this, this uh, sort of rampant development around Taunton Bay and, and concern for uh, the local wildlife, um, nesting habitat for bald eagles, and I think community members living in that area looking at it and seeing it changing, but not just changing in terms of um, ways that are supportive, but changing in ways that, that maybe are going to you know, really alter the environment and, and uh, decrease the quality of life for people in the area. So you know, they, they looked at uh, different possibilities, and, and uh, one of them was to form an organization that could actually conserve land, that could buy land, that could receive uh, donations of land. So we're a 501c3 organization, um, just an IRS designation. And uh, because of that, we can receive uh, tax-deductible contributions, and that includes land. So if a landowner wants to donate a piece of land to Maine Coast Heritage Trust or to Frenchman Bay Conservancy, they can receive a tax deduction for that. And we're obligated um, in perpetuity to maintain that land and to uh, do the stewardship that's necessary to maintain trails. Um, a big part of what we do is providing public access. Uh, so to answer your question, Natalie, a land trust is really an organization whose um, focus primarily is to provide conservation and to work with communities to achieve those goals. Great. Yeah, Bob, go ahead. And uh, Maine has a really uh, you know rich network of land trusts so um going back aren't we one of the states with the largest percentage of land trusts we are um right now we stand in about the 84 land trusts statewide um and that number about 30 years ago was only about five statewide um back 30 years ago in the 80s and into the 90s maine coast heritage trust recognized um, the need for more organizations doing conservation and doing it in their local communities and having people based in those communities. And that's when we started to form and help form land trusts such as French and Bay Conservancy on a statewide basis. And so that eventually evolved up um, to over 100 land trusts statewide. And now that's backed off as uh, we, uh, land trusts get a little bit more efficient. Some have merged together to pull their power together power together and others have um, sort of passed the torch of their conserved lands to other organizations. Great. Um, So uh, let's think about the Downeast region for a minute. Um, Can you guys help paint the sort of land trust picture in, you know, roughly, let's say, Penobscot Bay to Passamaquoddy Bay? How many are there? What kind of work are they doing? Maybe share a few of what, of who they are. Yeah, um, sure. And Let's see, from uh, Penobscot Bay, 
um, east, I would say, you know, there there's uh, a number of land trusts in the region. Blue Hill Heritage Trust is doing great work on the peninsula right now. Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust uh, works right here in Orland on the on the their uh, preserve around Great Pond Mountain. Um, Frenchman Bay Conservancy covers the region I mentioned earlier. There's smaller land trusts as well, such as Crabtree Neck Land Trust, which really focuses just on that um, Crabtree Neck section of Hancock. And then as you get farther east, uh, Down East Coastal Conservancy is a land trust that works in that region. There's a Down East Rivers Land Trust that focuses specifically on um, rivers, especially salmon habitat in eastern Maine associated with Down East Salmon Federation and uh, Down East Lakes uh, Land Trust that works um, in the Down East, uh, Down East Lakes area. And then there are a number of uh, conservation organizations that um, sort of cover larger regions and work and partner. So we have the Forest Society of Maine is one of those um, organizations and uh, New England Forestry Foundation as well. So they come in and help and working on these large um, undeveloped woodland tracks in Maine. And then uh, in addition to that, we also have other groups like the Nature Conservancy helping out with uh, some conservation in the area as well. Great. And um, many of these organizations have come together into the network that is the Down East Research and Education Network. Um, and Darren, we'll call it for short, the Down East Research and Education Network, Darren. Um, and Darren just had a meeting um, down at the Scudic Peninsula. Um, so tell us a little bit about Darren. What's the role of Darren? Yeah, so th- this is kind of an exciting um, collaboration, I think, of, of different land trusts and uh, educational institutions. So College of the Atlantic, um, uh, University of Maine, and community organizations and concerned uh, individuals, engaged individuals, um, to, to come together and to look at different ways um, that our conserved lands in Down East Maine can be an asset. And so the convergence that you mentioned, uh, we've now had about six of these uh, conferences um, held at uh, primarily at the Scudic Institute over at, at Scudic Point. And the organization or the collaboration really grew out of this concern several years ago, back when uh, there was a proposed development in the Goldsboro Peninsula for an eco-resort. And um, some people may remember that it was called an eco-resort, but there wasn't really anything ecologically friendly about it. And, uh, you know, so I think it was an opportunity for people in in the conservation and the broader community to, to step back and ask, you know, how do we talk about conserved lands and how do we think about conserved lands and land use generally? Um, and so there's opportunities um, to include in that research and education. And so um, Darren really is a way to build a network of organizations like ours uh, that are that are focusing on using conserved lands as uh, really as an asset again for education for research um, and looking at the impact on communities in eastern Maine. So we've done a number of things um, over the years. One of them has been uh, uh, starting an economic study, and that you know right now we're working with a, a graduate student and a faculty member at the University of Maine. Um, and again, trying to characterize some of those ways that uh, that conserved lands impact our lives. And, you know, we know already that we are protecting clean drinking water and access to, to water and outdoor recreation, um, conserving working forests, uh, working landscapes. But how do you... Um, how do you quantify some of that and, and what is the broader scope? And a bunch of different organizations have done studies like this around the country and we really felt like it was time 
to do that here in Down East Maine. And, uh, and Darren is a way for us to do it um, as a collaboration between Maine Coast Heritage Trust and FBC and some of the organizations that are focused on this work in the region. And one thing that's sort of uh, a little bit different about this study is it's not just looking – there have been a number of them state um, nationally that have looked at land conservation in particular. But we're also looking to see uh, what impacts both research and education also have on the Down East region. So it's an important part of the network, an important part of some of the economy of Down East Maine. Great. So at some point in the next short-term foreseeable future, a year or two, there will be some results from um, a study looking at the economic impacts of research, education, and land trusts in the Down East region. Yeah, I mean, we, that, that's our goal. Um, that's our goal. And, and I think there's a lot for us all to learn in, in doing this work. Um, so I think that's kind of an, an exciting um, opportunity right now. You know, another piece of Darren is that it, it functions as, um, you know, what, what we call a regional conservation partnership. And there are a number of these partnerships around uh, New England and I'm sure around the country that are a way uh, really to get added strength and, you know, sort of economy of scale um, for the work that we're doing and also to work on a larger landscape scale um, approach to conservation. You know, for example, uh, Bob and I have spent a lot of time working on uh, protecting the Scudic Corridor, something we'll probably get into a little bit more later in the show. But, um, you know, it's a way for organizations to to look at not just what the impact is for their local region, but also how does that set within the broader context of, for example, Down East Maine. Great, great. Um, I, I'm really interested in this question of, um, I know you're the, that Darren is in the beginning stages of this economic impact study, but, but what do you see from the work that you do in your respective organizations in terms of how um, land conservation can support local communities and sort of community, local, local level community development? Yeah, I think that there's a number of ways that uh, land conservation, land trusts um, can support the local economy and, and are doing that right now. So there's sort of the category of economic development benefits. So thinking about uh, jobs that are directly related to um, conserve lands and getting people outdoors. So jobs like um, tourism and recreational related jobs and revenue that comes from that. And then the other aspect, and um, as we're all aware, that uh, uh, the forest uh, industry and uh, timber harvesting has an impact on the economy. And so some of these large conservation tracts that uh, allow for working forests and for uh, these lands to continue to be harvested. Uh, so natural resource industry and also um, farmland. So we have great partners like uh, Maine Farmland Trust and some of the local land trusts working on agricultural easements as well, which provide economic growth. And then there's uh, the other aspect, which is sort of ecosystem uh, services. So um, providing ways to uh, address stormwater runoff without actually having to cause, um, you know, put new infrastructure in. So these buffers that can help deal with uh, stormwater runoff and flood control and uh, water pur purification. Um, and all those can have an economic benefit or upside as well. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I would just, I would just add to that too. You know, Bob, you talked about uh, jobs and, and um, I saw an interesting figure recently that uh, there's 58,000 jobs in Maine in, in the tourism industry. And uh, that's, it's a two and a half billion dollar industry in Maine. 
hunting, fishing, and wildlife viewing alone is roughly a billion dollars. And so land conservation certainly has a huge impact on that. Um, So while I'm tossing out some some statistics, another one that I would mention is uh, a 2012 study um, that was uh, looked at by the Land for Maine's Future program uh, showed that for every dollar invested in land conservation through that program, there was a return of $11 in natural goods and services uh, to the Maine economy. So that's just sort of quantifying some of the same services that Bob was just talking about in terms of clean drinking water and other services provided by these lands. Great. Um, You mentioned the land for Maine's future. Can you explain what that program is? Yeah, you know, that's, it's a really great program that we've, we've had in Maine for a number of years um, that's administered uh, by the state and, it's uh, been supported uh, with public bond funding and uh, supported by uh, bipartisan majorities in the state legislature. Um, it's provided uh, quite a lot of uh, funding over the years for land conservation organizations, including uh, Frenchman Bay Conservancy. So uh, we have, I believe it's six um, preserves that, that we've received, we've applied for and received some land for Maine's future funding. And it's a, it's a way for uh, the state to recognize the value of some of these lands and, and uh, to use uh, state dollars to support some of the private dollars that are already going in that direction. Great. Um, I, so, or go ahead, Bob. Oh, no, I did, uh, no feel free to. <laughs> okay. Um, so I've heard you guys mention a few different terms that I thought it might be useful to define um, in terms of what is a preserve? What is conservation? Uh, looking really at the question of, I think sometimes when people hear about conservation, they might immediately think something like Acadia National Park, where um, there are pretty strict limitations on things like motorized vehicles or extraction of any timber, or you mentioned farming. Um, what's the what's the the uh, sort of diversity of the kinds of preserved lands that we have in the Downeast region and that you guys have on your preserves? And how does that sort of dovetail with public access? Well, I think it's one of the great things about the breadth of conservation organizations that are working on the Maine coast and uh, throughout Maine is that you really do have uh, a lot of different organizations, um, both governmental state and uh, nonprofits like land trusts that are working to protect and manage lands. And each one has different uh, philosophy, different focus, different uh, management practices. So you have Acadia National Park, and we're very familiar with sort of the way that they manage lands. You also have the U.S. uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, and they have the Maine Coastal Islands Islands Wildlife Refuge, which uh, goes throughout the state, and that's where I used to to do uh, a lot of my work. And so they're managing for a lot of these uh, bird species, and they set up, designate, um, a bill just passed, designating some of their islands as wilderness areas, so sort of hands-off approach and keeping these places wild. On the other side, um, with land trusts, um, each land trust manages um, their property property different. We we refer to them as preserves. Land trusts use other terms to kind of describe uh, land that they actually own and manage. Uh, But uh, all land trusts go through a process of looking at the what public benefits there are on the on the property, what kind of important ecological values it have, and then think about um, ways that uh, the public can benefit from it and ways to manage it in the future. 
Great. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, I would just use an example, too. I think one of the interesting examples um, that we've done is with uh, the city of Ellsworth, where, you know, Ellsworth had a certain need uh, to protect uh, clean drinking water. And, um, you know, one of the one of the water sources there is, is Branch Lake. And um, with uh, development in increasing, especially around lakes and ponds, shore frontage, um, there was an opportunity for Frenchman Bay Conservancy uh, to be involved in putting together a land deal that ult- ultimately involved um, uh, Forest Society of Maine and other partners. And so we now hold a conservation easement on the city forest in Ellsworth, which is a large uh, tract of land on uh, Branch Pond, and the city actually owns that property. Um, so it both protects clean drinking water and it provides public access. So there's trails on the property. Uh, people can hike there. Um, and every year uh, we in partnership with the city, have a volunteer opportunity where people come out and we maintain the trails. Uh, A couple of years ago, we had something like 40 blowdowns after that really heavy winter that we had uh, a couple of years ago and, you know, had to, had to clear away all those. Um, But, you know, I think that's a, that's an interesting example where a municipality in Down East Maine and a land trust can work together. Um, So there's a lot of different examples out there. I mean, there's, uh, there are other properties that we've protected for, um, for trail purposes, for access to the beach, um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting ones out there. And um, any uh, what what are some of the examples of um, conservation initiatives in the Down East region that um, uh, focus on recreation, but also say the working forest or or sort of traditional uses of lands in this region? Do you guys have any examples you want to share on that front? Well, I'll I'll jump in. I, I think Bob may have one as well. Uh, one of our um, earlier conservation easements is on a, a farm in Gouldsboro, um, uh, Darthea Farm. And, uh, you know, the Maine Farmland Trust has done a lot of this work. And so lately we haven't done a lot of uh, farmland easements. Um, I know uh, Bob mentioned earlier the working farm that they have. Um, and so that is definitely something that's been a, a major need in the state of Maine is to protect some of this farmland. I know Blue Hill Heritage Trust has done a lot of that work as well. Um, on this uh, Route 15 corridor in the, in the Blue Hill region. Um, so I think that's a great example of, uh, of, of working lands. And there's a lot of working forest um, conservation as well. I know the Forest Society of Maine has done quite a lot of that work. I think um, the majority of their work has been uh, working farmland easements. And one of our partners, uh, Down East uh, Lakes uh, Land Trust, uh, is, has a large tract of land, over 300,000 acres that they own and manage down in that region. Um, and that is a working community forest. So they use it for community benefits, and they also um, actively uh, work on uh, forestry management and providing um, wood off the land. So there's really a big diversity in terms of the kinds of conservation that we're seeing in the region. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we covered a lot of these, but it, it goes it, it ranges from recreation to public access to clean drinking water. Um, climate resilience is another one that we haven't uh, touched on before, but you think about you know, changing climate and, and what are some of the landscapes that are going to be the most resilient to that change so that we can continue to, to still have, uh, you know, forests and uh, thriving, healthy ecosystems here in Down East Maine as the climate changes in the future. 
Great. If you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to WERU Community Radio, and this is Coastal Conversations today. Um, Our topic today is land conservation um, in the Downeast region, and my guests in the studio are Aaron Doherty from the Frenchman Bay Conservancy and Bob DeForest from Maine Coast Heritage Trust. Um, And uh, if you yourself have any questions for our guests or have any particular experience that you want to share related to land conservation in your backyard, um, by all means, feel free to call. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Our toll-free number is 1-866-625-9378 or 1-866-625-WERU. So back to our topic of land conservation, Bob from Maine Coast Heritage Trust. Yeah, I think uh, working off our conversation, I thought I'd just give another example of the breadth of uh, what land trusts are working on and the types of conservation out there. Um, we just recently worked on uh, a property down in East Machias, which was the local uh, sledding hill for the community. It's a very small property. Um, it was uh, in somebody's side yard, and uh, it's where a lot of the kids, including uh, some of my colleagues' kids, used to go uh, sled riding. And the property was coming up for sale. And so we worked with the landowners in the community on finding a way to buy uh, the the, uh, field where people go sled riding and then partition off the house so a private individual could own the house but keep that uh, sledding hill open for the community to use. That's a great story. Yeah, great local story. Yeah, you know... So for going into storytelling here, I've got one as well. Um, you know, in, in Sullivan, I think um, we had looked at the possibility for landscape uh, corridors and thinking about how um, people can get from Route 1 in Sullivan up up to the the um, uh, Scudic Mountain area in the State Reserve land to the north. And over um, more than 10 years, uh, we put together a series of conserved lands from uh, the Baker Hill uh, Preserve and Long Ledges Preserve all the way up to Skudik Bog. And it was a real process that involved um, a lot of community members and, and, and really um, sitting down and trying to figure out what the best way is to make that path. And ultimately, it was a combination of sort of opportunities that rose up and uh, some strategy involved in, in the acquisition of those parcels. So um, just last year, we sort of put down the last keystone piece together that allows us uh, that allowed us to build a trail that now goes from um, a Tucker Mountain and Baker Hill on uh, Route One and Sullivan all the way up to Scudic Mountain, and then from there people have access to over fifteen thousand acres of of land around um, Catherine Mountain and, and Tunk Lake and all of these beautiful places in that section of the state. Wow, that's an exciting um, opportunity for trail hiking. That's great. Yeah. Um, I think we have a call. Um, BD from Camden, welcome to Coastal Conversations. Yeah, it's um, really cheering what you're talking about. You've already touched on a bunch of the issues that I was hoping you would. Great. Um, one being watershed, and I work with Ellsworth, and probably there are other towns, although you're not, you don't have a lot of big towns there, maybe, but everybody has runoff problems. So, um, you I a couple of issues, but I was thinking maybe you could give a shout out for beavers. It's kind of a bee in my bonnet, people not realizing how important they can be, and I don't know how they can be managed, but you may, and um, I'm glad they're still around. 
But I'm mostly, and you talked about um, sequestration, and there's work going on, which you may know about, about trying to keep it in the wood, trying to manage the forest so that so it holds as, as much carbon as possible. But I'm particularly concerned about um, biomass use, and of course you're not going to let biomass um, harvesting happening on your land, but you're basically a bulwark against it, partly uh, taking the whole tree. I just um, hope people know that that is really not good for the forest or for the watershed. So I don't Great. know if you want to take off on that or if you're really already addressing it. Great. Thanks a bunch, um, BD, for your yeah. call. We'll we'll have these guys address it. And it sounds like we're looking at the topics of beavers, carbon sequestration, and biomass. Aaron, do you wanna do you wanna comment? And thanks again, BD. Yeah, maybe I'll come back to the beavers. I'm not I'm not I gotta think about that one for a minute, but you know, I think um, you bring up a, a really interesting point about uh, the working landscape and sort of the balance between uh, the needs of the forest product industry in Maine and in long-term um, conservation. And that's really right at the intersection of where a lot of land trusts are working. And um, you were also talking about sequestration, which, um, you know, I think one of the great examples of that was up at uh, Down East Lakes Land Trust, where they actually used our c- carbon credits um, from the California uh, trading program uh, that was set up really to keep some of the greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere and and, and look at forests as a carbon sink. Um, and so the Down East Lakes Land Trust actually used some of that funding in, uh, in acquisition. And the goal there was to allow the, the landscape to continue to be a working forest, um, but to ensure that the um, the, the standing timber there actually increase um, over time so that you're, you know, you're, you're putting more of that carbon that's up in the atmosphere back into the forest, but you're also supporting those jobs, recognizing that jobs are so important in the forest in the state of Maine. Thanks, Beattie. That was a great call. And thanks, Aaron, from Frenchman Bay Conservancy. Um, it's fascinating to me. Probably about 10 years ago, land trusts weren't really thinking that you were investing in conserving lands for carbon sequestration. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Very timely. Um, I think we have another call. Bill from Lubeck. Welcome to Coastal Conversations. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, and also thanks for the program. Um, I think we need to have a better understanding of what's happening uh, with the uh, conservation movement around. Um, I, I'm in, I've been in Lubeck for, well, forever, and uh, we've seen a fair amount of land that's been put into conservation easements or, or sales and reserves. We have some wonderful ones around. I, I'd like to have your um, panel comment on the impact of these kinds of purchases easements on local property tax bases, uh, particularly in light of the fact some of these large track ones and and the others are in kind of the uh, gold standard, some of the, uh, the coastal real estate, shoreland, uh, and those sorts of things. The impact, you know, either directly or indirectly for either removing it from the tax um, rolls or uh, the indirect ones where state valuations are consistent with uh, the amount of real property that is in these valuable areas. And, you know, vicariously it comes back to that in state uh, revenue sharing issues and those kinds of things, and you know what kind of impact uh, these kinds of purchases may have on local economies. 
Thank you so much, Bill. That's a great question and um, one that that we were hoping to address on this show. So thanks for thanks for bringing it up. Um, so um, Bob from Maine Coast Heritage Trust, what can you comment a little bit on Bill's question and the relationship between um, land conservation and and taxes and the dimensions that Bill referred to? Great, thank you, Bill, for the question. And um, yes, you did uh, touch base as we were talking about what land trusts are and. As Aaron mentioned, they're a 501c3, and they're a nonprofit organization. And so they are qualified for their lands to be uh, tax-exempt. And there are a number of ways that uh, land, which means that uh, you don't have to pay uh, property taxes uh, when a land trust owns uh, conservation land. Uh, There are different ways that uh, land trusts, you know, uh, address that. Uh, Some do a payment in lieu of taxes, so actually um, placing um, an alternative um, money or a portion of those to to sort of offset the loss of taxes. Um, and uh, the other is to enroll it in open space. But I think the, which is a current use taxation program, which reduces uh, the, the property taxes, but still brings some revenue to the town. But I think the, the this is something that we we think about and ha, um, have had conversations with a number of coastal communities, and we think about the impact that uh, this has. I think from the the positive side, um, these lands can uh, provide some economic benefits for the area, as we as we mentioned before. Um, they can also provide some needed resources. Um, for communities. So we like to think of ourselves and we want to be good neighbors in these communities. So thinking of ways that um, these conserved lands can provide benefits um, to the communities. So be utilized for um, things like tipping or, excuse me, some of the, uh, some land trusts will um, open up lands for some uh, forest forest, uh, management and um, getting timber for firewood for communities, providing community gardens, and providing other benefits that uh, help make these communities more sustainable, more more livable. And uh, the other thing that they uh, conserve lands that they sh- have shown um, in a number of studies throughout the, the states and um, in Maine that the impact of conserved lands on other property actually enhances. So the proximity of some of these lands to... Um, to conserve lands actually increases the value of those lands and can actually um, increase the revenue um, in that way towards uh, local communities. Yeah, I think those are all good points. One that I would add to that, and and I think this is probably more true with more heavily developed areas. As as, um, communities lose access to undeveloped wild places, it's actually to the community's benefit and there's a definite cost savings in not developing certain areas because then the municipality doesn't have to put the money into the services for, um, you know, for supporting those, you know, think about a subdevelopment, for example, and and there may be, um, you know, water and sewer and other services. Again, not that particular example is not as directly applicable for some of the rural communities in Downey's Maine, but maybe for the city of Ellsworth. And it definitely holds true for uh, some of the more developed um, areas around. And there's a lot of, um, 
you know, values, uh, if you're looking at the benefit side of land conservation that are harder to quantify. And that sort of goes back to why we're doing that economic study to take a look at some of those. And so I think it's, it's really good for communities as they're thinking about what the land use is going to look like in the future to balance out what the, what the costs are, as our caller identified with, uh, what are some of the benefits to land conservation. Great. Great. Thanks to both of you. And um, Bill, thanks so much for your call. That that certainly is a question that comes up a lot in local um, conversations about conservation. Um, and it sort of raised for me a, a similar but different question. Um, so thanks, Bill, uh, which is uh, how, do, how do your respective land trusts um, decide? You know, if you get a call from a landowner, whether it's a, a large landowner or um, some, a small landowner like the Sledding Hill that you mentioned a few minutes ago. How do you decide whether um, it's a tract of land that should be conserved or if it has actually alternative uses that um, make more sense in its current ownership? How do you, how do you weigh that out? Yeah, I, I think each land trust has a different uh, sort of process they go through, but um, all of us are really looking at sort of what uh, conservation benefits and uh, criteria that we look at each um, property um, uh, through. And that is, uh, with us, we look to see if um, a piece of land is going to be able to provide some uh, ecological, recreational, and scenic uh, benefit. And our process is, as we evaluate um, a piece of land, is uh, see if it first meets this threshold of um, providing uh, true public benefit um, uh, to uh, the community and to people in the broader area. And then um, looking at weighing that um, as to what the future uses of the property can be, where it's located, and what the long-term management of the property um, would entail. And uh, so it's, uh, there are a number of properties that will, people will approach us, um, and we will determine that, um, either it's in an area that would be better for, um, some, uh, residential or smart growth in those areas and decide not to, um, to preserve those. Um, and in others, we may decide that they just don't meet, um, a public benefits test. And, uh, we, we, try to find an alternative way that they can try to do that privately, protect it privately, or um, find an alternative use for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the state of Maine also provides a lot of information that's really helpful for land trusts. Um, some of the smaller land trusts um, have limited resources to do some of that prioritization that Bob's talking about. Uh, one of the great programs that we have is through the Inland Fisheries and Wildlife Department. It's a beginning with habitat program where you can actually look at habitat values for certain areas of the state and uh, you can see what is important for uh, for wading bird and waterfowl or what's important for uh, for deer for overwintering areas for example and that's just one of the tools that land trusts can use to begin to prioritize what's important to them and then um, you know as we were both saying uh, sometimes um, someone will just call us out of the blue and say I have a piece of property I'm really interested in conserving this how do I do that and uh, that actually just happened uh, w with me the other day. Someone called uh, in one of the rural communities in the area and, and asked that same question. On the other hand, sometimes um, uh, sometimes we're more proactive and find uh, an area that we want to go out and protect. You know, one example that I want to raise, uh, which is, I think, a, a really wonderful story, is um, uh, 
there's a, a man uh, who's passed away now, but his name was Jeremy Strader in Gouldsboro, and he lived on uh, Taft Point. Um, it's a beautiful piece of property, um, about 65 acres. He had the opportunity, if he wanted to, to sell that off, uh, you know, and, and maximize the development there with house lots all along the shoreline. Um, and he was really strongly supportive of his community, uh, really engaged there in local music and arts and the, and the culture and the community in Goldsboro. That's not what he wanted to see happen. He didn't want to see it developed. And so he worked with Frenchman Bay Conservancy to figure out how to conserve it and how to uh, protect his house lots for his daughter after he passed away, but to ensure that the community at large could enjoy the land that he had. And now it's our Taft Point Preserve. It was open to the public this year. Um, it's a beautiful spot with views um, over uh, Flanders Bay. You can see Skudik Mountain, Shefflin Point, all the way down uh, through Stave Island and Mount Desert Island in the distance. And so, um, you know, we get we get all kinds. Sometimes we go out and we pursue the properties, and other times people come to us, and it's a great balance between those two. Great. That's a great story, and you're um, planting all sorts of seeds in my brain for places to go hiking this fall. <laughs> um, so if you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio, and our topic today is land conservation down east. Um, and our guests are Aaron Doherty from Frenchman Bay Conservancy and Bob DeForest from Maine Coast Heritage Trust. And we welcome your calls if you have any questions or comments for our guests. Our number is one 866 625-9378. That's one 625 um, The The Down East region is pretty special, right? So there are several um, assessments that have evaluated that it's some of the wild, wildest, least develop, developed region um, in all of the eastern seaboard. And um, I wanted to... Um, kind of explore that, but first we have a call. So um, let's talk to Chris from Thomaston. Welcome to Coastal Conversations, Chris. Hi. Uh, I had a question. Uh, I guess I have a question. Um, like a few months ago, I was hiking at Owl's Head uh, Lighthouse, and there's a property like that abuts that property, um, like the state park property, like 35 acres, and it's like, it's still in the market for, it's still in the market, I just checked, and it's like, now eight hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, and it's thirty-five acres with like twenty-five hundred feet of like waterfront. It sort of looks into the Rockland Harbor, and it's such a natural like progression from the park that they had to put up no trespassing signs to like people from wandering into this property. And it seems like such an obvious place to like try to get like the park to like absorb this property or something. I guess it's already covered by conservation easements, but I just like it seemed like it's a good idea to somehow make that part of the park, and I was, I didn't know how to go about it, and I talked to a few people and didn't get anywhere, but I just wondered if you had any ideas on that kind of thing. That's, that's a great question, Chris. Um, thanks so much for your call. It seems like that... Um, there's sort of the question about that site right next to Owl's Head that you guys may or may not know about, but it's also a much bigger picture question of when people sort of encounter attractive land that they really care about, but they're not in a position as a landowner or, you know, the head of a land trust or whatever. How how can how can Chris from Thomaston get involved in trying to conserve a parcel of land? Bob. 
Great. And I, and I am familiar with the property that Chris is Great. talking about, um, at, at least on, on maps and from uh, paddling off the shore there. Uh, so uh, so for, for that particular one or for other properties, um, there are a number of great resources um, throughout the coast. But uh, one is through the main land trust network. Um, if you know your local land trust and talking to people on the ground that have a strong familiarity with the, with the area and the property, that's a great starting point. And if you don't, you can go to mltn.org, which is the main land trust network website, um, and that will help you figure out who the local contact is for your local land trust. And you can also uh, contact Maine Coast Heritage Trust, mcht.org. Um, and Chris, um, I'll put us out there. If you've not spoken with us, uh, put us out there as a resource to sort of talk to, talk through that particular situation. Um, and then also reaching out to, to the state and letting them uh, be aware of the importance of these um, nearby properties and the impact they have on uh, the visitor experience to places like Owl's Head. Uh, but I think that the the key thing is talking to some of the local uh, land trusts in the area. Which in that case is Coastal Mountains Land Trust, is that right? And so between Coastal Mountains Land Trust and Maine Coast Heritage Trust, those are probably two of the best organizations to reach out to with those questions about that specific parcel. Great. Thanks so much for your call. And um, it sounds like... Uh, you should give Bob a call at Maine Coast Heritage Trust, <laughs> um, and he'll point you in the direction of the person who um, works in that particular part of the coast. Um, it does raise sort of this larger question also of parcels of land adjoining lands that are already conserved, which brings to mind for me in the Downeast region, um, the Skudik Peninsula. Um, you mentioned earlier that I can't remember eight years ago, 10 years ago, whenever it was that there was a proposal for a quote-unquote eco-resort um, at the Skudik Peninsula. Things have changed since then pretty significantly. What's happening at Skudik in terms of land conservation? Yeah, well, um, a lot of things are happening uh, in that region right now. And, and when I actually started two years ago, there were a few properties on the market that I think our two organizations certainly and other groups that were interested in this really recognized that if we're going to be serious about protecting what now exists as a wildlife corridor from the region around Tunk Lake all the way down to Skudik Point, of course these are communities and people are living there, but it's also one of the really unique places where the northern forests in Maine stretch down to the coast in a virtually unbroken, unfragmented chain. And and I think the quality of place uh, here in Maine depends upon conserving that. Um, and so we recognize that with these properties going on the market, that this was an opportunity to, to uh, conserve that. And if we lost those properties, then it would be much harder to really maintain that integrity. So Frenchman Bay Conservancy um, and Maine Coast Heritage Trust uh, jointly worked on a, uh, a grant proposal to the North American Wetland Conservation Act Fund. This is a, a program administered by Fish and Wildlife Service, and, and Bob took the lead on that. Um, we were ultimately successful, and in, and in, in the this grant of a million dollars is now being administered by Maine Coast Heritage Trust. Um, and it's actually, I think, a really good example of collaboration between organizations. So our two groups, and and Bob and I specifically, meet with landowners. We've uh, reached out to the, some of the forest landowners to the north. We've talked to individual landowners around some of the um, some of the ponds in the area. And, um, and so, again, that's sort of a combination of 
jumping on opportunities that are there with some of those properties that have already come on the market. And uh, we have our, our one of our latest preserves is uh, a 300-acre tract that goes from Route 1 up to uh, Lower West Place Pond. And one of uh, MCHT's more recent preserves is on uh, Forbes Pond in Goldsboro. Um, so, yeah. Great. And I think... Uh you mentioned uh, sort of the impact of lands on adjacent lands and back to the the campground uh, back then. That was one of the... the so the campground sorry, the, is uh, the... Yes, yeah, Scudic Woods uh, parcel, the eco-resort that Aaron was referring to. Um, back in 2005, 2006, that was being proposed for this large tract next to Acadia National Park was being uh, proposed for an eco-resort. And one of the great concerns was that the impact that that would have on uh, the visitor experience to Acadia National Park. The other concern was sort of uh, creating uh, the Scudic Peninsula since it, it shared a common border that um, northern border with Acadia National Park was sort of creating this ecological island at the tip of Scudic Peninsula. So this um, Scudic to Scudic ecological corridor concept is thinking about ways that uh, wildlife and uh, it connects from across the, the landscape. And one of the important things is uh, making sure that these areas are protected in between and allow wildlife to migrate up from the coast up into the main woods. Great, great. Thanks. One of the many regions that make um, the larger Down East region sort of unique and special compared to more developed regions. I think that we have another call. We have a couple minutes for a call. So um, Rick from Belfast, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Uh, just quick question for your guest. I'm wondering, like, if someone wanted to volunteer in conjunction with what the, this project is doing, is there a way of doing that? And I'll just take my answer offline. That, that's a great question, Rick. Um, our, my guests are both smiling at that question. So I'll yeah, let them both you, answer from their you've organizations. Just, you've just tossed us the ultimate softball question. So <laughs> thank you very much. Um, absolutely. You know, we and I think any nonprofit is is really happy to use uh, a volunteer support. In fact, um, you know, we're we're for a lot of the work that we do, we're really dependent upon volunteers for stewardship work and for some of our events. Um, so for Frenchman Bay Conservancy, you can find us online at um, FrenchmanBay.org. We're also on Facebook and uh, stop by uh, our office in Hancock or give us a call um, as you know, an example of one of those events that's volunteer-led, we have a trail race that's coming up. It's going to be um, starting right near Sumner Memorial High School in Sullivan and then run north around Long Pond from there. It's really a beautiful spot that runs through a lot of our conserved lands with views out over Frenchman Bay and MDI. And that is happening on November 6th at 11 a.m. And if you're interested in running the race or volunteering for the race, we definitely still need people for both of those things. So you can find us online for that and register online or just give me a call. Thanks so much. Great. Um, and Bob, how, ca how can people volunteer? Great. Well, I think uh, reaching out to both your local land trusts and MCHT um, are great ways to, to get involved. We're, we're looking for volunteers on a number of our preserves to help out with stewardship efforts, um, helping out with events, getting people out onto the land. So you can go to uh, mcht.org, uh, look for potential opportunities there, or reach out to us directly. And again, through the Main Land Trust Network, find your local land trust, um, Coastal Mountains down in the Belfast region. And they have 
uh, a lot of needs as far as uh, volunteer work. The other way you can become involved in just bringing this back to uh, the Down East Research and Education Network, um, part of that is uh, research and education. So plenty of opportunities out there for citizen science. So ways for people, volunteers, people to get involved uh, in their community and even on the land that they own to help out with uh, science projects that help give us a, a broader understanding of uh, these systems that uh, are we're living in on the coast. And ways uh, Scudic Institute over at Scudic Peninsula is one of those uh, places where you can get involved with citizen science. Great. That's great. Thanks so much. And if um, folks are interested, some of the things that Aaron and Bob have talked about have been topics of previous Coastal Conversations shows, which you can listen to um, at WERU.org. And amazingly, we've come to the end of our hour on Coastal Conversations today, unfortunately. So I wanted to thank... Oh, we have one more call. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go for one more call. Uh, Charlie from Cherryfield. Um Quick comment from you. Okay, yeah, I was just wondering um, what uh, role the uh, four main native tribes have in the, in Darren. Great question. And, um, Thank you. Uh, to what to what extent all the organizations listed as members are concerned about preserving the culture of indigenous lifeways, which originally preserved the integrity of all these properties and evolved with them since the Ice Age. Thank okay, you so thank much. You. That's a great question, uh, Charlie. And Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I've got a brief answer to that. And um, actually, our keynote speaker at uh, this year's event was Dr. Darren Ranko, who's the chair of the Native American programs at UMaine. And he was talking about Wabanaki uh, diplomacy and traditional ecological knowledge and really ways of doing uh, research on the land in collaboration with the Native people. Um, so at within Darren and at Frenchman Bay Conservancy, we are definitely more than happy to work uh, with the native tribes in the area. And we've actually, uh, in collaboration uh, with um, some uh, tri uh, tribal uh, people and from the College of the Atlantic uh, Abbey Museum, uh, we provided some information on our Taft Point Preserve that I mentioned just a moment ago because there's a, a shell mid in there and there was a major ecological dig that was done in that place. So, yeah, def definitely happy to highlight that culture. And we've also, uh, Mako's Heritage Trust has worked with the Passamaquoddy tribe on uh, protecting uh, pictographs down in uh, the Machias Port region. So working with them on, on, on land conservation deals that help uh, set aside these important places. Um, to the tribal communities. Great. Thank you so much, Charlie. Great question. Um, so thanks so much for coming into the show. Bob DeForest from Maine Coast Heritage Trust and Aaron Doherty from Frenchman Bay Conservancy. Thank you, Natalie. And thanks so much thanks, to all sir. our callers today. Great questions. Um, and we've come to the end of Coastal Conversations, which is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 10 to 11 a.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. Our show's theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. Thanks so much to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good morning. Mm -hmm.